This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with reporting back to Antioch, the occasion of the First Council, Peter's response, James's response, and the Council's letter. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. What would you say if your child or grandchild approached you with a question like, what are some ways to relieve pain or stress? Or if someone is feeling depressed, anxious, angry, and confused, what Bible passages will help boost them around and strengthen their belief in God? Why does God let bad things happen? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's part four of our series, Kids Have Questions Today, Mental Health and the Problem of Evil and Suffering. Pastor Jonathan Connor joins us. He's pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. Jonathan, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Todd. I'm happy to be here. So the first question in under the heading of, of mental health is maybe kind of a personal question. When you have a bad day, what do you do? Yeah, you know, I love this question, and for a lot of reasons. One, I love it because this child felt comfortable asking their pastor what to do when you have a bad day. And I think it's a simple question. I think it's a profound question. And what I love about it with children is they're not afraid to ask that. I think a lot of adults, we're a little bit afraid to ask that. I don't know if if we're afraid to just say to our pastor, hey, what do I do when I have a bad day? I think maybe we're afraid sometimes to admit we have a bad day. But children aren't. And I think they're honest about the reality that we all have bad days for lots of different reasons. So I love this question. So I'll start first with my response to the child, and then we'll dig a little deeper. So I say to the child, great question. First, I remember that everyone has bad days. This is normal. So I don't freak out because I had a bad day. And this is actually really important. Notice what I do. I tell myself the truth. Having a bad day is normal. It doesn't mean I like having a bad day, but it does mean that I can stay calm and move through the day without making a big deal out of it. I must remember that my response is my responsibility. Having a bad day doesn't give me an excuse to be mean to people or take my frustrations out on them. Second, I really work on speaking God's truth into my life. So God says that nothing will separate us from his love for us in Jesus. That's from Romans chapter 8. And God has shown his love for us in the cross and empty tomb of Jesus. So I know that Jesus died for my sins and rose for my life. Further, I know that Jesus established a church where I can hear his word and receive his grace through his sacraments. So I can know that God is for me, even when it feels like the world is against me. And finally, I tell myself that bad days don't last forever. They may last for a time, sometimes even for several days in a row, but they typically pass. 
So it's important for me not to make them bigger than they are. Further, I always try to find something in my day that was good. And there's always something good to see and celebrate. Further still, I have the promise of God that bad days will one day end and the eternal good days of the resurrection will commence. So I can bring that promise into the middle of my bad day and find comfort and hope. So that's where my answer to the child ends. Now let me just expand upon that a little bit. First, like I alluded to with the child, I think this is important. First of all, it's a question we can all relate to, and we need to acknowledge that all people have bad days. All people do. There are memes all over the internet about having a bad day. Now, most of them are unhelpful because just because I'm having a bad day doesn't mean I can do whatever I want to do. That's basically the effect of a lot of these memes, which is why they're not helpful. But nonetheless, it's important to acknowledge all of us have bad days. Now, the next thing I want to do is put my days in the context of days. So I want to ask these sorts of questions. And, you know, parents who are listening and you've got children who are having a bad day, or maybe they've asked this question one way, shape, or form, or maybe you've asked this question. Here's how we want to think through this. Okay. So first we want to start by asking, what is the nature of the world in which we live? The nature of these days. And I love the book of Ecclesiastes. So it's basically telling us about the nature of the world, and it summarizes it basically like this, time, chance, death. That's the nature of our world. We live in a time, chance, death world. So I highly recommend the wisdom literature of Scripture. I think there's so much insight to be gained there. So especially Ecclesiastes, but Proverbs and Job also have great insight. So we live in a time, chance, death world, and in that world, bad days will come. This is not inconsistent with this world. So that's really important to acknowledge up front. Bad days are not inconsistent with these days. Second, I really want to speak truth into my life. And this is a habit and a discipline that all Christians need to develop. And we may need to do this out loud. I'll have more to say about that a little bit later, but the out loud piece is important because this is a key piece of mental health. The point here though is we need to get truth in because feelings change when beliefs change. So let me give you an example, just an anecdote, but one I think maybe will make the point. So the story is told about a husband and wife. They're coming home from a marriage workshop and the wife asked the husband, hey, what did you think about what we heard today? And he says to her, you know, I was just thinking, you are so critical. Now, you can imagine how that's going to go, right? The wife, she feels her blood is starting to boil. She's getting ready to, like, to open fire with this verbal barrage, basically saying how he missed the whole point of the workshop. But then she remembers that the presenter had warned against jumping to conclusions. So she starts by asking, what do you mean? And the husband says this, well, you're just so critical to our marriage, to making things work, to making our life happy and enjoyable. You are so critical. Now, I want you to notice something, because here's the point I'm making, that our beliefs impact our feelings. Because once the wife got the belief straight, she understood what her husband was saying, you can be sure her feelings changed. So we need to make sure our beliefs are right. 
And we need to make sure our beliefs are aligned with an accurate understanding of the world and with God's promises in Jesus. Now, as a side note, that's important to talk about, but we need to make sure we're not putting promises in the mouth of Jesus that Jesus hasn't spoken, which tells us why it's so important for us to be in the divine service as often as possible and in Bible study. So we're actually hearing the words and promises of Jesus. But Third, and this is an important piece also, I mentioned to the child, finding something good. Now, that's not about closing your eyes to the bad or sticking your head in the sand, nothing like that. But it is important to have a discipline of identifying a good. So our family, we have during our devotions in the evening, we share our highs and our lows for the day. And a lot of families do this sort of thing. So everybody gets to say, you go around the circle, what was your high for the day? And you identify the thing that you enjoyed most from your day. And everyone shares that and you have a chance to celebrate that and laugh about it, whatever it is. And then everyone shares their low of the day. And sometimes those are not that big of a deal. And sometimes they are a big deal, but it also brings empathy to bear as we're hearing highs and lows. Our point for now, though, is the discipline of acknowledging that there was something good in the day. So we get in that discipline of doing that. So one other piece I would offer, and I think this is really critical, especially for confessing Christians, we want to bring the promise of the last day into this day. So I call this, and I'm sure you won't find this in a theological textbook, I call it a lassoed eschatology. What I mean by that is, is we're basically going to lasso the promises of the last day and rope them into today. So I think of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, if ever there was a verse to read in context, this is a good example of how people read it out of context. But in context, he's saying... We don't move through life consumed by the stuff that we see or brought down by the stuff that we see, or we might add in this context, by our bad day. We don't let that stuff define our walking. What do we do? And Paul will detail this, 2 Corinthians 5 and chapter 4. These are great chapters for doing this in Scripture. He's basically saying, we lasso the last day hope the last day assurance. We lasso it, we rope it in, we pull it into today, and then we walk with that hope today. So we import it, we lasso it, we bring it into today, and we speak that good news promise into today. So I think all of these are helpful ways to think through that simple question, what do we do when we have a bad day? Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest. It's part four of our series, Kids Have Questions. We'll talk a little bit more about mental health and the kids' questions next. Prayer, Meditation, The Assaults of Satan, You're Listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Tyler Arnold of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. The Saints at Village are proud to be an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. If you are in the St. Louis area, join us for the Divine Service at 8.15 or 10.45 a.m., Bible study and Sunday school at 9.30 a.m., as we receive Christ's promise of salvation and forgiveness through word and sacrament. You can find us at villagelutheranchurch.org. Village Lutheran in St. Louis welcomes you. When you hear the word heresy, what do you think of? 
Do you think of some ancient debate the church has gotten over and forgotten? Do you think of some stubby old theologians just arguing over things that don't matter? There's a lot more to heresies than you might think. And that's what the August issue of The Lutheran Witness is all about. Heresies, ancient and modern. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website, witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest. It's our series with him on kids and their questions. We're talking about mental health and the problem of evil and suffering. The next question comes from one of the children. If someone is feeling depressed, anxious, angry, and confused, what Bible passages will help boost the morale and strengthen their belief in God? What passages are good for strengthening your belief in general? Isn't that a great question from a kid? I mean, the kid's saying to their pastor, Show me where to look in the Bible. Doesn't every pastor dream to have parishioners and children asking that question? I mean, it makes my heart sore when I see these sorts of questions. So what I say to the child, great question. I will share some, but the best thing for a person in the situation is not to focus on the immediate or to think that a Bible verse or two will be the immediate answer. The key here has to do with habits, with the process of regularly reading the Bible or the biblical story with hearing the word preached. So the point isn't to focus on the outcome, but to focus on the process of hearing the word. Through the habit of hearing the word and taking it into yourself, the word changes you. But here are a few verses to consider. And for the child, I simply listed off a few verses. Now, for our listeners, if you're a listener like me, sometimes if I'm listening to it, I'll hit pause and write something down. So if you are looking for some of those verses that would be really, really helpful, maybe to have a sticky note or a piece of paper, maybe to stick in your Bible so that you have some place to go and get in the habit, I'll share a few verses right now, and then I'll expand upon it. So these are the ones I shared with the child. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Romans 8, 31 to 39, John chapter 10, and really most of the chapter, but 11 through 15 and 27 to 28 specifically. Romans 5, 1 to 5, Psalm 23, Psalm 46, and then 1 Peter 5, 6 to 7. Those would be great places to go. I think probably I'll just read from one of those for now because I love Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. And I just want to read these verses. I'm guessing for a lot of people that we're not as familiar with 1 Peter as we are with some of the other letters in Scripture. And I would really encourage you to get more familiar because what Peter says here is truly phenomenal. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's going to tell us why. He says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Those are fantastic words. I'll just summarize them like this. What I appreciate about this text is what I appreciate about the text of Scripture as a whole. First, Scripture is honest about the sober nature of reality. So it's honest about the nature of suffering and hardship and brokenness. So it's honest about sober reality. But in the same breath, it's offering these soaring gospel promises, this soaring hope. So sober reality, soaring hope. I think if we grasp that, we're well on our way. Now, I do want to say it is good, and it, this is a good practice, to have our go-to passages. This is one of my go-to passages that we can turn to over and over again, or we can just call to mind when we're going through these bouts of depression and anxiety and anger and confusion, that sort of thing. Personally, I always have the voice of my now seven-year-old reciting Lamentations chapter three. And that's thanks to his persistent mother, who's just remarkable in getting uh, our children to memorize scripture. So think at the time, he was probably about five. So imagine a five-year-old voice saying this. And he would just say this at random times throughout the day. Why? Because this was the thing bouncing around in his head. So imagine a five-year-old voice saying this, just hearing this in your house. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I mean, that ministered to my soul better than if I had read it myself. So I think it's good to have these memorized selection of verses or just their location so we can turn to them quickly so they can minister to us. But I also want to highlight something I said in the answer to the child. We need to appreciate the value of habits. And I'd recommend a couple books to people. This is critical. James Smith's book, You Are What You Love, and James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. Now, the first one, obviously, James Smith is writing more of like, you could maybe use our liturgy as an example of habits that draw us and drive us to Christ. The Atomic Habits book, it's not written from any kind of explicitly Christian perspective, but he just understands human tendency and human nature. And he's got some great stuff in there that I would highly encourage. I mean, if you're a Christian, you read this, you go, oh, I can easily bring that into my walk as a Christian. I've got several articles on our church's website on the blog tab that really deal with habits and uh, finding joy and delight in the habits. I think that's really important. And, you know, maybe sometime we can actually do a couple sessions on habits because I think that's really important. But my point for now is this is important. We don't need to wait until we're depressed or anxious or angry or confused before we start looking for these passages. This is important. And for those of you right now who are not going through hard times and think, God, oh, I'm fine, everything's great. This is the time now to start delighting in them, to start making them a part of the language of your life, the thinking of your life, so that when these days come, that these ideas and these phrases and these verses, these concepts, they will rush into your mind so you won't feel like you're starting from nothing. So imagine that you're going to trench a deep reservoir so that when 
the drought comes, we will have water. So I think if we bring those things to bear, we'll be well prepared for when those things, those emotions, those feelings come into our life. It's our series, Kids Have Questions, with Pastor Jonathan Connor. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to Issues Etc. Why for Life equips high school and college-age youth to be gospel-motivated voices for life. To find a Why for Life team near you or to start a Why for Life team at your high school or college, visit Lutherans for Life, lutheransforlife.org, lutheransforlife.org. We'll talk about some ways to relieve pain and stress, responding to a question from a child next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with reporting back to Antioch, the occasion of the First Council, Peter's response, James's response, and the Council's letter. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. It's commonly said that heresies are 90% truth and only 10% wrong, but it's the 10% that subverts all of Christian doctrine and all of Christian teaching by the essential errors that they promote. Well, if you're wondering about heresies, both ancient and modern, you should pick up a copy of the August issue of The Lutheran Witness, where we talk about these heresies, their ancient roots, and how to mark and avoid them. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or learn more at our website, witness.lsms.org. Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective where doctrine is life. You're listening to Issues Etc. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel, live weekday mornings at 8.30 Central, 9.30 Eastern, 7.30 Mountain, and 6.30 Pacific at issuesetc.org. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. It's our series, Kids Have Questions. Another one from a child. Here it comes. It's uh, what ways, what are some ways to relieve pain and stress? How did you answer, Pastor Connor? Yeah, I, I want people, first of all, just to hear that question from a child. And first, just to offer some empathy here. You don't know this child, but you can appreciate this is not simply an academic exercise for this child. 
what pain, what stress is this child experiencing? And to understand, you no doubt have had this question, this struggle, or your kids or your grandkids, they've had these sorts of questions. What do you say? And I think that's the value of us talking about these things together is that we're able to formulate an answer. And my encouragement for our listeners is that you would do precisely that, that you would start to formulate an answer in your head because either you're going to be asking this question at some point or someone you love will. And so having an answer maybe to start would be great. So I say to the child, this is a very important question. Let me walk you through it first. It's very, very important to understand that all people experience stress. So if you have stress or pain in your life, you're normal. The key here is what you're telling yourself about it. So two, this is why it's so, so important to know God's word and truth, because you need to learn how to speak it into your pain and your stress. Here's what I mean. What you believe to be true affects how you feel, and this affects what you do. So you need to have your beliefs about reality and God and life grounded in truth so that you can speak this truth into your pain or your stress. So I say to the child, let me give you a few verses that are helpful to speak into pain and stress. And then I share some of the same verses that uh, I just shared previously, so I won't read them, but I just listed off a few verses to give the child a place to start, to start to answer that question. And then I say, now, it may also be helpful to take a walk or to read a book or to practice a hobby. It is also helpful to take your stress to God in prayer, to give it to him and to ask him to help. And it's very helpful to talk to a mature Christian who can help you speak God's truth into your pain or your stress. And then I say to the child, I'm always happy to listen and to help you with this. And then I say, basically, you're welcome to, to reach out to me, to email me if you want to, or if you want to set up a time with me or and your parent to talk about this, I'm happy to do that. But I want that child to know, just like I want all of my members to know, that my door is always open for a reason. Because if they need someone to talk to, I'm there to talk and to listen, especially, because it's not always that I'm going to have the most profound insight. It's that the act of saying it out loud allows us to speak truth into it. And so that's what's so valuable about it. So what I want to dig a little deeper now with this question, like I said, saying it out loud is important because here's how stress typically goes in people's minds, right? So if you've had this experience, you've probably gone down this road. You're stressed, something difficult is happening in your life, and this is like the thought process in your head. I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed, or everything is horrible, everything is awful, my life is terrible, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I'm such a bad person. Some combination, some arrangement of those thoughts are running around in your head and just making a mess. These are very destructive thoughts, and they love to cause mayhem in your mind. I have this image of that. Uh, I think there's an Allstate commercial where you have that character. His name is Mayhem. I just remember a couple different commercials. All I know is he's running around making a mess of everything. And that's what these thoughts do when they're in your mind and when they stay in the dark and in the silence. They just run around and make a mess of everything. 
This is why it's so critical to get these thoughts not only out into the open, but out into the light so we can bring the light of God's truth to bear. So you're stressed. Why? Well, because my boss, my job, my teacher, my classmates, my finances. Or you'll ask, why do you think you're a failure? Why well, didn't do this? I'm no good at that. Here's the thing. We need to answer these questions because we need to hear our answers. Are our answers true? Are they situated rightly in reality? Are they living in the light of God's truth or in the shadows? So that's really what we're after here is to bring these questions, these frustrations out into the open, into the light, and then to review kind of what we talked about in a minute ago. We do this again. So what is the nature of the world we live in? It's a time, chance, death world. Okay. So the fact that you're experiencing stress is not something strange. Number two, you are not alone. How can I say that? How can I say you're not alone? And because I know if you've, if you've experienced this or your child has, the one thing you probably feel is how alone you are. And here's how I know you're not alone. It's because of the very first word in the Lord's prayer. It's the word our, our father. So even if you pray that prayer alone, the first word is a reminder that you are not alone. Not only are there faithful confessing Christians on this planet, but the book of Hebrews will talk about the faithful witnesses who have gone before us. We are not alone. Pray the Lord's Prayer, our, it will remind you. Further, and this is so important because I think this is, this seeps in sometimes into our Lutheran churches and we need to get it out because it's destructive. But we are not called as Christians to live the victory. We are called to confess the victory. That's a huge difference, okay? Because the thing about this stress thing is we don't feel like we're living the victory. It's incredibly defeating and demoralizing. And we feel like for the thousandth time, we failed and we failed and we failed because we're supposed to be living the victory. No, we're supposed to be confessing the victory because Christ's victory is my victory. And that means that I am not defined by my failures or my stress and I am not completely subsumed by my successes, right? Now, look, are there things that I need to work on? Of course there are. That's for everybody. But here's the thing. We don't guilt trip ourselves to death. We make a plan or we go get help and we work on it. And the thing is this, all we're after right now is setting a trajectory. We might not get there tomorrow, we might not get there the next day, but we're going to set the direction and stay at it. And then when we go to bed at night, and I know this is easier said than done. So, you know, if you're listening and say, yeah, it's easier said than done. I agree. That doesn't mean we shouldn't say it. We give our stress to Jesus. Here's why. Because he's going to be up all night anyway. There is no need for all of us to be up. Just let Jesus be up. And then we get up in his mercies which are new every morning. So this is so important both for us as adults to be reviewing this, 
to be situating ourselves in reality as it is, and to be bringing God's promises to bear in reality, and to teach our kids how to do this, to give them the skills and the framework for how to think through these things, because this is the nature of our world. It's a time, chance, death world. We need to be able to situate ourselves rightly in it and speak truth into it. Another question, what is the percentage of people that deal with stress? Yeah, and I know of that question, the child, and here's the child literally wrote, what is the percentage that people deal with stress? And you're thinking, I'm not sure what that question is. And I shared it exactly like that with you when I shared this question with you, because my point at first is this, children and adults don't always ask their question exactly the way it is in their head. And so it can be a little confusing at first. So I say to the child first, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking, but I can tell you this, all people experience stress. That's normal. So the issue isn't whether or not you are experiencing stress, but what message you're speaking into your stress. As Christians, our call is to confess the truth of Jesus into our stress. Peter writes this, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And Jesus says, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The key here is to speak out loud about our stress so that we can bring it into the light of God's truth. Don't bottle stress up and let it destroy you. Get it out in the open so that you, with help if you need it, can speak God's truth into it. So that's where my answer to the child ends. And I want to recommend just a couple, three resources here. William Backus is a great author who speaks to this idea of speaking truth into our lives. And I would recommend a couple of his books. One's a really short book that deals with anxiety called Finding Freedom from Anxiety. William Backus, B-A-C-K-U-S. And his other one is Telling Yourself the Truth. Now, he has lots and lots of books, but I would recommend those too. Now, if you're not a book reader, if you're looking for more just a short article length treatment on this, I'm uh, an itinerant speaker with Lutheran Family Service here out of Iowa. And I wrote an article for them called The Quest for Peace in the War Against Anxiety. The Quest for Peace in the War Against Anxiety. If you can Google that and type in my name, I'm sure you'll find it. But it gives you more of an article length treatment of this. I'll just read the first couple sentences, maybe to just kind of whet your appetite for the conversation. I write this, for many people, anxiety is not a word. It's a malevolent monster, a monster with an icy claw that clutches their hearts, leaving them paralyzed. If you battle anxiety, you know this reality all too well. And you know, like many others, you wonder, can the grip be loosened? Is freedom possible? And then I simply say, read on. So that'll give you uh, maybe a little preview of what the article is about. These are very big and weighty topics that certainly we could do a whole series just on this topic. But if this is something that is very real to you and something you struggle with, I'd look up William Backus, I'd look up the article I wrote, and this would be a great place to start to address that question. 
Folks, you will find a link to Pastor Connor's article, The Quest for Peace in the War Against Anxiety, on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. When we come back, we'll turn to the problem of evil. How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or find out more about The Baptismal River at issuesetc.org. The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. When a 2018 fire nearly destroyed Milwaukee's historic Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church, we got to work, but continued to give the gifts Christ freely gives to his saints here in Milwaukee as we have since 1847. We are nearly two-thirds of the way to completion on this historic restoration, but we need help to finish this work. Will you join us? Please consider joining us. Visit trinitymilwaukee.org for more information. And as pastor, I can't wait to welcome you home to Trinity. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. A mobile Lutheran Bible study. You're listening to Issues Etc. Come and experience firsthand by sitting down in classes and actually hearing professors. Coming to chapel, which is always the high point of the day, to hear the Word of God and to lift our voices in song. Issues Etc. regular guest Dr. Paul Grimm on why you should consider visiting Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana spend time talking to professors. I mean, there's not a professor here who will not be willing to, to take time, whether it's after chapel during the coffee hour or just to come into one's study and, and sit down and talk for a while, to answer questions, to you know, help them to get a sense of, A, you know, do they want to be a pastor or a deaconess? And then B, is this the right place? And well, maybe C would be the question, is now the right time for them to make that decision? If you've contemplated the vocation of pastor or deaconess, contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or send an email to admission at ctsfw.edu. Joni in Idaho, Alan in St. Louis, and Barbara in St. Paul, Minnesota for recently ordering video and audio recordings of the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. 
These recordings contain teachings from Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod President Pastor Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione, journalist Mark and Molly Hemingway, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, Kyle Mann of Babylon B, and Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. We'll send you a link and a password for a donation of $300 by Labor Day. You can order online at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call 618-223-8385. It's our series, Kids Have Questions. We're talking about mental health and the problem of evil. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. Pastor Connor, here's another question. This one has to do with that problem of evil. How do we have bad things, cancers, natural disasters, what is considered the devil's work, etc., if God is stronger than Satan? Yeah, isn't that a great question? Man, that's a big question. That's coming out of the mouth of a child. I mean, these kids think such big thoughts. I just love hearing them to phrase it the way they phrase it, but they're asking big questions. So I say, great question. We need to start by not giving Satan more credit and power than he deserves. Consider what God said to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? That's from Exodus 4, verse 11. So even if God allows Satan a certain degree of power, Satan only acts within the boundaries God allows. You may ask why God allows Satan any power, and that's a fair question. The short answer is because God has not enacted the final judgment yet. He says he's patiently waiting for people to repent. So while it may seem like Satan is stronger than God, Such is not the case when we read Scripture carefully and God's absolute power over Satan will become plain when Jesus returns and casts Satan into hell forever. So that's where the answer ends. And this is an important question for us to ask, to really wrestle with. I think we're too quick sometimes to attribute things just simply to the devil. So think of the book of Job for a minute. When you see the calamities that Job experiences, are are these the devil's work? or God's work? And if you're reading the book, honestly, you have to answer yes. So it's not always that simple just to say, that's the devil's work, that's God's work. It's not always that simple. So sorting that out, we need to be very careful. And yes, it will leave some of these sort of questions, well, why would God, like in the text from Ephesians chapter four, well, why would God make someone mute or deaf or blind? Those are hard questions. And I think this is where reading the wisdom literature may be very helpful for us. But let me transition very briefly, because I want to address what is this classic syllogism, the the way this problem of evil sometimes gets leveraged against God. And I want to show how that classic syllogism isn't sufficient. And so to give you a a few tools maybe to diffuse some of the the power of this argument, at least the apparent power of it. So then the classic syllogism goes like this. If God is good, he would want to end evil or suffering. If God is powerful, he could end evil and suffering. Evil, suffering persist. Therefore, God is either not good or not powerful or doesn't exist. So here's the thing. First of all, if God doesn't exist, then our ability to define good and evil, they just evaporate, right? If there's no God, what are we complaining about? We can't call anything objectively good or evil. We can only say, I don't like that. And honesty requires us to admit that that's just not good enough. 
I mean, nobody wants to live in a world where violence and theft and bribery and perjury and lying and so forth, th that these are only things we don't like. We want to be able to call them evil, but we need God for that. Because to call something crooked, you have to first know what straight is. And here's the problem. We are not morally straight. We are morally crooked. So we cannot be that standard. We need God. Now, here's what the syllogism forgets, though. It forgets, number one, that God is eternal. And number two, that God is wise. So God's eternality means that he is not required to resolve everything in my lifetime. That's very presumptuous of us to say to God, basically, look, you've got 90 years and you have to have this all worked out. And if you don't, then I'm going to conclude you're either not good or not powerful. No, that's presumptuous because God is eternal. He's not bound to our span of life. And number two, God is wise. And let me give you an image here because I think this is really, really helpful. I want you to imagine the constellations in the sky. And typically with constellations, like I was out on our morning walk this morning and there was Orion on the horizon. And you know what? They're like eight or nine stars in that constellation. And we connect the dots to formulate a picture in the sky. And we do that a lot with suffering. So we have our six or seven, even maybe 10 dots, and we're expecting God to fit inside those 10 dots. We're basically saying, look, God, you have to fit these question marks that I've got. You've got to fit them in my eight dots. You've got to fit in those. So you've got to fit in my constellation for me to accept that you're good or powerful. Well, here's what the wisdom literature is teaching us. That God isn't working with those seven or eight dots in the sky. He's working with every single star in the sky. And he is weaving together and drawing one big three-dimensional constellation. So if you take, you know, how many trillions of stars there are in the sky, we don't even know. They keep, they, they keep upping the number over time they try to estimate. Our three-pound brains cannot conceive of the night sky as one constellation. It's not possible. Our brains just can't conceive of it. So when we're trying to basically say, God, you got to fit in my seven dots, we are trying to confine God in such a way and limit his wisdom in such a way that it makes sense to us. And God is basically saying, you see God do this with Job, right? You know, chapter 38 forward, where God's like, where were you? So I have a few questions for you. And Job realizes I've spoken when I shouldn't have. My wisdom is finite and I'm dealing with the God of infinite wisdom. So when it comes to these questions of evil and suffering, we need to remember both that God is good and that God is powerful, but also that he is eternal and he is wise. And for those reasons, we can trust him even when we don't always have an answer that fits into our seven dots of why suffering or evil. Here's a related question, but it has more of that eschatological perspective that you were mentioning before. Why does God keep letting his people suffer? Why doesn't he come back? That's a wonderful question. And one the child is longing for God to come back. Isn't that what we want our kids to long for, for Jesus to come? I think the child is thinking rightly, first of all, 
that the solution ultimately will be found when Christ returns. The hope will be found when Christ returns. I want us to acknowledge that, that that's good thinking on this child's part. So I say, excellent questions. Let's think through it. Is suffering good? Well, the experience of suffering isn't necessarily good, but could God accomplish good through suffering? He did it through Joseph in the Old Testament, letting him be sold into slavery, falsely convicted, and imprisoned for years. And Paul in the book of Romans says this, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now notice those listeners, Paul doesn't say we rejoice because of our sufferings, we rejoice that we're suffering, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then Paul talks about in Romans chapter eight, and I'll summarize it for our listeners, but you know, all things working for good to those who love the Lord. And I go on with the child. And it might be that God brings suffering into our lives to teach us to trust him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, these are marvelous words. These are so powerful in verses eight through nine. He says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. While we might not know the specific reason why any one person suffers, we can trust that God can work his purposes in and through suffering. Why does he wait? Well, then I reference the passage from Second Peter that God is not slow in fulfilling his promises, but waiting for people to repent. So I say to the child, our call is to trust him while we wait for him to return and make all things new. So that's where my answer ends. And just very briefly to expand upon that, I think it's important for all of us to remember, our greatest problem is not suffering. It's suffering and dying without Christ, without hope, without purpose, without promise of relief. That would be the greatest evil, the greatest problem would be not to have Christ. Is waiting for Christ to come hard? Yeah. It is. But friends, it's worth it. Suffering is hard, but we know that God is at work in and through it. And I would highly commend C.S. Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain. Right? We've all heard about God whispering in our pleasures, but God shouting his megaphone through pain. But Lewis goes on a couple pages later. I'll just share one quote a little a couple pages later because it's not as familiar. He says, no doubt pain as God's megaphone is a terrible instrument. It may lead to a final and unrepented rebellion but it gives the only opportunity the bad man can have for an amendment. It removes the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. So suffering may be a way where God gets the attention of a deaf world, as Lewis says. So that's something to think about. But I also would commend to our listeners, and this is where we can end for today, but I would highly encourage you to get familiar with the hymns in our hymnal. There are some marvelous hymns in the Lutheran service book that deal with the question of suffering. I think of um, if thou but trust in God to guide thee, right? These marvelous words. If thou but trust in God to guide thee and hope in him through all thy ways, he'll give thee strength, whate'er betide thee, and bear thee through the evil days. Who trusts in God's unchanging love builds on the rock that naught can move. Those are beautiful words. I think of Paul Gerhardt's hymn, Entrust Your Days and Burdens. And we'll just close with this one verse from that hymn, from verse three, where he says, Take heart, have hope, my spirit, and do not be dismayed. 
God helps in every trial and makes you unafraid. Await his time with patience through darkest hours of night until the sun you hoped for delights your eager sight. That will minister to your soul. And I so encourage families, have a hymnal in your home. Even if you're not musically inclined and not able to sing them in your home, learn the words because they will minister to your soul in a very profound way. They're just taking scripture and setting them to poetry. So it's taking the promises of God and putting them in poetry in a way that maybe will stick. And that's the goal here is to get these promises to stick. Pastor Jonathan Connor is pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. Jonathan, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Todd. I enjoyed it. We will be talking about a U.S. appeals court ruling in favor of restrictions on the abortion pill Mifepristone with Carol Tobias, president of National Right to Life, next. It is the sentence of this court that Thasius Cyprianus be executed with the sword. Cyprian, thanks be to God. Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod President Pastor Matt Harrison speaking at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. So, I would rather lay down on this spot and have my head chopped off than give up the Word of God. But with that strong, biblically informed conscience, I shall face my day and age you shall face this day and age. We will confess Christ no matter what we face, and we will bear witness to a better way in Jesus. Come what may. Amen. You can watch and listen to Pastor Matt Harrison making the case for the Lutheran option from the 2023 Making the Case Conference for a $300 gift by Labor Day. You can access an on-demand video stream or download a podcast of the entire conference. Order today at issuesetc.org. We're supported by listeners like you. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's life ministry is thousands of people sharing Christ's love and mercy and giving witness to our Lord's creation of life, His design for marriage and the family, and the God-given value of all human life from conception to natural death. Working with many partners, LCMS Life Ministries sponsors human care efforts that meet the needs of body and soul and provides resources and educational events for all ages. To learn more, email lifeministry at lcms.org and visit lcms.org life. Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com.